Good morning. Pastor Kyle, I want to thank you all for being here today, and happy Thanksgiving. Hope you all had a, a great time with family and friends over the holiday weekend. We're so glad to have guests with us today uh, here, uh, sitting in our theater here, or watching online, or listening to the podcast. Just so grateful that everyone's had a chance to come. Hope you uh, already tapping into the joy of God in the holiday season, and uh, just really excited to, to say in a few weeks on December 17th, we're going to celebrate our annual Joy to South Park ministry, where we go out into our community here, and we, we, we share the love of God with those around us. And this year, our focus is going to be on letting the local businesses here in South Park know that we're glad they're here, and uh, they were praying for them, and we're just glad they're part of our community. And so, after worship on December 17th, uh, we're inviting folks to take. Uh, we've got these great gift towers that we're going to take to 95 businesses around the community and just uh, take them that gift and say, you know, we're glad you're here. Uh, we, we care about you. God cares about you. We just want to share uh, our appreciation and bring you some joy today. And so this is for everybody in the church, uh, from families uh, with little kids or no kids, just is for the whole church to do this. And so uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that. And we just, we ask that you go ahead and sign up and pick the business that you'd like to go to. Uh, you can do that on our church website or do it out in the lobby today. We've got a person out there with an iPad. We'd be glad to sign you up. Again, we have about 95 businesses we want to go and, and, and meet and be in touch with, and about 70, some of those are already taken. So I want you to get in on this, and uh, so be sure uh, and hit that uh, in the lobby. There's a whole banner out there, Joy to South Park, uh, before you go home today. Well, as Kevin said, we're doing a one-off uh, sermon today. It's about uh, Thanksgiving, uh, which is kind of in uh, tune with what we've just celebrated. So uh, before we jump in, let me just invite you to join me in a moment of silent prayer that I would deliver God's Word today, that we would all hear it and allow God's story to be part of our story. Uh, let's pray about that together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to invite us today to wrestle with a question. What does it mean to be content in life? Like, when's enough enough? When, when are, are the situations or the circumstances in our life to the point that we can, we can truly be happy? We can be truly content? Is that, is that reasonable? Is it manageable? Is it somewhere in the far future, the near future? Was it somewhere in our past and we've lost it? Or, or can we have that right now? Uh, Laura and I have some friends that are, are selling their home, a uh, $300,000 home, and they're going to move into a $400,000 home. And, and they're doing this to get into a, a different neighborhood, but also to get about 600 extra square feet uh, to have a bonus room for their family. Uh, we have some other friends who just uh, have paid off their $250,000 home, and they've sold that, and they're now buying a half a million dollar home that they're going to move into and start the mortgage process over again. I uh, went to school uh, with a guy who, in 1994, bought a mobile home, uh, bought some inexpensive property out in the country, uh, and, and has lived there ever since 1994. It's all paid off and doesn't really have any plans to, to go anywhere else. Uh, Laura and I have some friends that have moved uh, six times uh, in the past three years across four states, uh, and they're, they're seeking to find a place where they're going to be happy and to be content, but it, it doesn't seem that they found that yet. So, in our own lives, what does it mean to be content? When is enough enough? And it's not just with material possessions like a house or, or with where we live. I mean, we can think about that in, in terms of health. 
You know, some of us came here today and we probably got our first cold of the season and it's driving us crazy and we're sniffling and we're coughing and we got all the uh, cold medicine inside of us and we're less than content because that's just not the way we want to feel. Uh, there's others in our congregation that every few weeks have to go to the doctor and get shots in their eyes so that they don't lose their vision. And, uh, you know, that doesn't sound really fun to me, but, you know, they want to be able to see. We've, we've got some people in our, in our church who have uh, this inner ear thing going on where they hear this roaring sound and it's never going to go away. Right? Sometimes it might be less loud and sometimes it might be more loud, but, but it's always going to be there. So as we think about our health, what does it mean for us to be content about how we feel? And then relationships. You know, some of us are single and we're as happy as we can be. We love our freedom. And some of us are single and we're lonely and, and we're praying that God will help us to meet Mr. or Ms. Wright and that that will happen sooner rather than later. Some of us are married with children. Uh, some of us are married without children. And, and those of us without children might want to have children. Those of us with children might want you to have our children, right? And so uh, what does it mean to be content? When's enough enough? Is it always going to be somewhere around the corner? Was it always somewhere in the past and we've lost that? Or, or, or can it be right here and right now? What does it mean to be content? You know, we, we might have things better sometimes than we think we do, especially materially as we live here in America. Um, when you get home today, if you want to do something fun, go to the Internet and look up globalrichlist.com, globalrichlist.com. Uh, and you can enter in how much money that you make during the year or how much money you have saved. And then it will tell you how rich you are compared to the rest of the world and how we kind of stack up. And you're going to be surprised that all of us are much better off than we, we might have imagined. So they've crunched all these numbers from all around the world and they, they have made it, uh, they've adjusted it so that we can understand uh, that there is a cost of living difference in each country. And so they've kind of pared it down to see how much money that we make, how much we, we can buy with that compared to how much somebody makes in their country, how much they can buy with it. So that they've tried to, to level that field uh, in a way uh, that make. Let me just read it to you. It's easier. <laughs> it takes into account the cost of living, right? Okay, so if we're making $20,000 a year in America... Some would think that's great. Some of us uh, would think that's probably not a lot of money. But uh, if you're making $20,000 a year in America, you're in the top 3.6% richest people in the world. Right? Top 3% richest people in the world. Uh, you, you would be making about $10.42 an hour, where someone in Indonesia makes $0.39 cents an hour. Uh, it would take a worker in Ghana 125 years to earn $20,000. 125 years to do that. If we're making $20,000 a year, it takes us uh, three minutes of work to earn enough money to buy a Coke, right? A can of Coke. Uh, in Zimbabwe, it'd take an average worker an hour to buy that same Coca-Cola. If we're making $20,000 a year and we take one month of our income, we could fund the combined monthly income of 87 doctors, right? 87 doctors in Azerbaijan. $20,000, one month of income, is the same as what 87 doctors are making combined together uh, in the country of Azerbaijan. All right, so if you're making $50,000, if we're making $50,000 a year, we're in the top 0.3% richest people in the world. Right? So we talk a lot about the top 1% richest people. Right? If we're making $50,000, we're even better than that. Right? 0.3%. That's at the top, right? The top. Uh, and so 
Uh, it would take a worker in Indonesia 67 years to earn that money that we're making in one year. Uh, it would take us one minute of work to earn enough money to buy a can of Coke. And again, an Indonesian worker, it takes two hours to buy a can of Coke. One month of our income would pay 188 doctors all of their salaries, all of their income in the country of Kazakhstan, right? So one month of our income would pay for 188 doctors to have all of their income combined together in the country of Kazakhstan. So let's say we make $100,000 a year in America, right? That's sounding better and better all the time. Now we're in the top 0.08%, right? So it's not just the top 1%. We're in the top one of the top 1% of people in the world making money. Uh, so we're making $52.08 an hour. Why? A laborer in Ghana is making $0.08 cents an hour. It would take a worker in Indonesia 134 years to earn $100,000 that we earn in one year. Uh, it takes us a few seconds, just a few seconds, to be able to afford to buy a can of Coke. Again, it takes other workers one to two hours, depending on where they live. One month of our income would fund 376 doctors living in Kazakhstan. Right? So one month of our income would pay for 376 doctors for an entire month in another country. So... I say this as a way of saying, you know, a lot of times we want, to, we want to win the lottery and we wish we were, you know, on easy street. Well, folks, being born in America, we've won the lottery. Right? We are the riches of the rich, right? When it comes to materialism and material goods and stuff, right, we hit the jackpot. So as we think about being content in the world, right, and there's more than being content with material stuff, right? There's relationships, there's health. We've, we're talking about that stuff today. Point is, a lot of us, we're doing pretty well, and we don't even know it. Right? I want to show you this video that kind of drives this point home. And I want to thank our brothers and sisters at Forest Hill Church. They created this, and, and they share this freely. Uh, but check this out as we think about just how good we have it here. Check it out. <laughs> I'm alive! I'm alive! Yeah? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, hey, Christine! You're here too. Mm. I love you. I know. Dad, what's happening? Uh, honey, the power works. It's coming. It goes on and off. Whatever we want. <laughs> We've got clean water. Oh, that's great. Look at that. Ooh. I bet I know what this does. Bring down the glorious water. Oh, what do we got here, guys? Food. Mm, I love food. What? A beef beef? Do you not have work? This is awesome. What's in here? Dee? The what? Jack, be careful. Oh. I have a car. Did you guys see this? Yeah, you have a car. I love that ending with the coffee. You're the best, right? 
It reminds us just how much we have. How so many people in the world don't have electricity. They don't have running water, don't have shoes, don't have jobs, don't have a, a home, don't have children, right? And so it just makes me want to run home and just get the light switch, you know, flick it on and off and, you know, go you know, turn the, the water spigot on, flush the toilets, go wrap my kids up, wrap your grandkids up, right? And just say, thank you, God. We have so much to be grateful for, so much, right? We hit the lottery being born in America. Just, we, just Sometimes we're just always chasing after stuff that we don't have, right? It's our culture, right? It's commercialism. It's, you know, you're always going to be happy when you get the next thing or buy the next thing or have something better than the next person. But, you know, when we stop and think about all the, you know, six to seven billion people on the planet, how, you know, we're in this, this top 1%, most of us, and it's just, we forget that, right? But what about when we do have problems and we do have problems and we hurt and we suffer and we have broken hearts and we're addicted to things that are, are bad for us and uh, there's bullies and there's violence and there's abuse and, and all sorts of things. And so there, there, there are things in our lives that, that are still challenging. And what about the rest of the world that doesn't have running water or electricity? Does God not love them? And I mean, what's that all about? How, how can they or we in our own moments, how can we be content when things aren't exactly 100% going well. And so that's where the real rub is. And that's where I, I like us to continue thinking and, and wrestling about that today. And we're going we're gonna to turn to the Bible because I think it's, it's an awesome resource that God has given us. It's the Word of God to help us understand you know, some of what uh, we can do in our lives to, to focus on being content and what that looks like. And so we're going to be today in the New Testament in the book of Philippians. Uh, it's written by a man named Paul who was a disciple of Jesus. And, and he did a lot of cool things for God. Uh, but he first started out, he was like an enemy of the Christian church and of Jesus. And, but, uh, and he persecuted the church and, and Christians, had them arrested, some of them even killed and, until he converted, right? God got a hold of him and, and, and Paul totally changed his life, allowed God to change his life. And instead of persecuting the church, he became a huge advocate. And so he started planting churches in the first century in Greece and, and uh, what would be Turkey, right? Uh, and Asia and Europe and, and all over the place. And he'd go start churches. And, and then when he was wasn't at the churches that he started, he'd write them letters and send them encouragement and give them advice. And so those letters were collected and, and they made it into the New Testament of our Bible. And so most of the New Testament are these letters from Paul. And so today we're going to look at one of those. It's, it's his letter to the church in Philippi, uh, to the Philippians, the Philipp Philippian church. Uh, and Philippi would have been in modern day Greece back in the day in the first century. And Paul is writing from a city called Ephesus, uh, which was uh, would be in Turkey today, uh, which is very fitting for Thanksgiving, right? Turkey, right? Yeah. That bombed in the first service too. So y'all can just <laughs> write that off. And uh, so he's and he founded a church there. So the Philippians get a letter from Paul and he's writing in Ephesus somewhere in the mid-50s uh, uh, in the first century, right? So the year 52, 53, somewhere in there, Paul is writing this letter. And now things are not going well for anybody right now in the Philippian church or for Paul. So in Philippi, uh, there's a lot of struggle inside of the church. There's conflict in the church. There, there's some of the people inside the church that, 
that say there's different levels of being spiritual uh, and, and that we're higher spiritually than you are. And so we're looking down upon other people in the church because they're just not as good or as spiritual as we are. Um, there are also some things going on in, in the early Christian church. Uh, there's some Christians who came out of the Jewish faith, like Jesus and the disciples who grew up in the J- Jewish religion. And, uh, and they have all these uh, practices that are in our Old Testament. And then there's Christians who weren't Jewish and, and uh, they're like some of us. They just weren't exposed to the Jewish faith. They were in other different faith traditions and they found Jesus and they became Christians that way. And so, uh, and so some of the Christians who were Jewish people are saying to the Christians who are not Jewish, it's not just that you have to believe in Jesus and have faith in Jesus, but you have to follow these laws in, the, in what we consider now the Old Testament. And, and, and some of those New Christians are like, no, we, it's no, we just need Jesus, right? And, and so there's this internal strife going on, and, and so uh, it's tough, right? A church is divided, and there's stuff going on. Some people are mad at Paul, and some people aren't. And so it's just it's not the healthiest of church situations. And on top of that, to be a Christian in Philippi it was a dangerous thing because there are other religious uh, beliefs. There are people who are not religious at all, and they look down upon Christians, and sometimes it could be dangerous. In fact, when Paul himself was in Philippi, he was arrested uh, because he was preaching Jesus, uh, and eventually they escorted him to the edge of the city and said, don't come back, right, or else. And so uh, it's not safe to be a Christian in Philippi. And Paul, I said, is in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, He, at this moment, when he's writing the letter to the church in Philippi, is in prison. And he's in prison because he's preaching the gospel of Jesus, and the local people didn't like him preaching the gospel of Jesus. And he's awaiting trial. He's going to go on trial. And if he's uh, convicted and sentenced, then he can uh, be sentenced to death. And so Paul doesn't know whether or not he's going to live for the next few days uh, or it's going to be all over. His church that he started and he loves uh, is in major stress and, and, and disunity. And so he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to encourage himself. And so it's not a great situation anywhere for the Philippians or for Paul. Uh, so that's kind of the background. And when we're going to read what Paul says, it's, it's going to make his words all the more shocking because he says some pretty cool things, but given his circumstances, it just doesn't make sense. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 4 for this whole, our whole discussion this morning. We won't be jumping around very much today. Uh, and if you have your tablets or want to look on your phones at the Bible app, not eBay, please, <laughs> or, or Facebook, but uh, let's dig into uh, Philippians chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 10. This is what Paul writes to the Philippian church. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So what's happened is the Philippian church has has sent Paul uh, some ambassadors to come check and see how he's doing, and they've brought him some money. And he's like, thank you for doing that. That means a lot to me. You know, I know you weren't able to get here sooner, but you're here now. And, you know, when you're in prison back in the first century in Ephesus, uh, they didn't feed you. They didn't take care of you. They just locked you up. And so you had to kind of take care of yourself, whether, you know, you had money on your own, like Paul, who was a tent maker, or you had friends who came and took care of you, right? You're on your own. So if you want to eat or whatever, that's on you. And so Paul's like, you know, I appreciate you bringing the money. uh, And thanks for remembering me. Uh, But then he says this in verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, uh, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned to be content 
whatever the circumstances. What, what are you talking about? You're in prison. You're going, you're going to a trial. You could be killed, right? Uh, your church is falling apart. They're all fighting with each other. And, and there's people outside the church that want to tear down the church. And, and you're content, whatever the circumstances. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty, right? I know what it's like to go hungry. I know what it's like to be in prison. I know what it's like to have a lot to eat. I know what it's like to be free and to do my own thing, right? I know either one of those. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Would y'all like to know what that is? I, I have learned the secret. Paul, tell us the secret. What does it mean to be content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, right? Whether in prison or not, whether the church is getting along or not, right? I have learned to be content in whatever situation, right? So the word for content that Paul uses in, in Greek in the New Testament when he was writing in the first century, uh, it, it meant to be self-sufficient, it was a philosophical term from Stoicism, from Stoics. And so it, it, they thought that it was, it was wisdom to be able to be self-reliant. So Paul's saying, I'm, I'm self-reliant in these, in these situations. I'm content no matter what is going on. But now this next verse, he's going he's gonna to change the definition of that. right? So in verse 13, he changes the, the definition of content. I can do all this through him, through God, who gives me strength. So instead of Paul saying, it's okay, I got this, I'm self-reliant, he's saying, I can be content whether I have a lot or whether I have little, whether I'm in prison, whether I'm not in prison, whether the church is doing well or the church is falling apart, right? I can handle it because God gives me strength. So instead of being self-reliant, Paul is being God-reliant, right? So for Paul, being content is, God, you know what? I've done all that I can. And now I'm turning it over to you and you got to have this, God, right? I'm reliant upon you, right? So Paul is talking about being content, how he has learned the secret. He has learned to be content, right? He wasn't born with that. He would learn to be content in all circumstances. So what circumstances right now are challenging us in our own lives? What, what circumstances are great and what circumstances are horrible? And, and, and are we able to be content? And if we are, what does that really mean? Right? What does it mean to be content in any and every circumstance? Because I think we could, we could misunderstand this. We could mistranslate this. So let's talk for a second about what it doesn't mean. Right? I don't think that, that it means that when we see injustice in the world, you know, when, when someone's being abused, or maybe when we're being bullied or we're being abused, that we should just say, you know what? I'm supposed to be content in all circumstances. Let me just grin and bear it and, and I'll handle it. That, that does, this is not what that means, Right? And it doesn't mean when we see people who are in the world that are starving that we should, oh, you know what, they'll be in heaven one day. They, they need to be content with what they have. That's not what this means either, right? So when we see injustice or, or we see racism or we see hatred, right, these things should make us angry, right, to have a, a sense of holy discontent. God talks about righteous anger. We see things that are not right in the world that should make us angry. We should, we should work to correct that. Right? We, we should work against violence. We should work against racism. We should work against intolerance or hatred. Right? We should work to feed hungry people. We should work to stop abuse. Right? We should walk away if we're in an abusive relationship. And so that's not what Paul is saying here. 
Paul's also not saying that we can't be ambitious, right? Like, hey man, I got a D on my, on my homework paper, on my test, right? Pastor Kyle said, be content, right? I'm cool with the D. I don't, I don't have to go study anymore. Mom, just get off my back, right? Not saying that at all, right? God wants us to, to do our best. And if we can make the B or the A, right, we should, we should, we should try for that, right? So it doesn't mean that we, that we should, you know, uh, ignore our emotions, Right? We're in a, we're a difficult situation, like Paul was in prison, and he's talking about being content, and you know, the church is fighting, you know, and you know, it's okay, Paul probably got mad. Right? Y'all quit fighting. You know what I told you? Right? This is what I taught you. You need to get back to what Jesus told me to tell you. And yeah, I don't like being in prison, right? I need to be out spreading the word of God, but you know, here I am. You know, it's okay to, to say, you know what, this stinks, this situation stinks, but 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 I'm not gonna let it define me. Right? And and, and I think also. What Paul doesn't mean, he's not saying that this life doesn't matter, right? You know, a lot of times in Christianity, we think, wow, right, we've been saved by Jesus and we're going to be in heaven one day and it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be perfect, you know, and so, you know, it's okay if my life stinks right now. It's okay if I'm being abused. It's okay if I'm getting a D because this world doesn't matter, right? It's all about heaven and, and heaven is real and heaven's awesome. It's going to be great, but this life matters, Right? Jesus came to give us life to the full. He said, I came to give you life and life to the full, abundant life. And so Paul's not saying that. Right? So that, that's not what Paul is saying. So what is he saying? Right? So what is he saying? I think one thing that Paul's telling us, obviously, is you know, we, we should be glad for the great things that we have in our lives. You know, like the global rich list stuff that we talked about, like the coffee and the shower and the lights. Right? We should be grateful for our relationships. Right? We, we should rejoice in the great things that are happening in our lives. But Paul also tells us that, that there's a truth about life that we in America, we, we don't want to admit that's real. And we fight everything that we can against it. And that, that, that is suffering is a reality. That it's not always going to be great. It's not always going to be smooth sailing in life. And that there are going to be bumps in the road. And so many times we want to, we want to you know, work towards this false ideal that the only time we can be happy is when everything's going right. And when everything's not going right, we got to fix that, right? And so when in our lives really is everything going right, right? It's just, it's just not a reality. And so that suffering is a part of life, even for Christians, even for God followers, Right? Paul was a good man. He wrote most of the Bible. He started most of the churches that, that started out in the first century. And yet, you know, he's in prison. He's going to go on trial. He will be convicted later and executed in Rome, not in Ephesus. Uh, he's going to be shipwrecked. He's going to be bitten by snakes. He has a, a, an eye ailment where he can't see very well. And so, you know what? Paul had a lot of good in his life, but he had a lot of things that were not so good. Jesus, the Son of God himself, right, came to the earth he was betrayed by his best friends. He was abandoned. Uh, he was falsely arrested. He was falsely convicted of something he didn't do. He was executed. Right? He was the son of God. If that happens to Paul and to Jesus, then we've got to understand that there's not always going to be everything smooth sailing in our lives. And so that suffering is a reality. But in the midst of suffering, there is hope for us. Because here's the difference. God takes our suffering and he redeems it which means he brings something good out of it, right? He doesn't cause the suffering. He's not trying to teach us a lesson, but when we're in a suffering situation, God is at work to bring good from it, right? With Jesus, his own son died. The worst thing that could happen, he came back to life. You know what's good about that? You and I can be in a right relationship with God. 
We can be forgiven the wrong things that we do, the guilt and the shame that we carry around. God's ready to take that away and give us joy when we invite Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. Right? God took something horrible and he made it into something good. Paul being in prison, no picnic. I'm sure being in a first century prison where you got to feed your own self and take care of your own self. And, and, and yet, you know, God redeemed that, right? The word of Jesus still spread. People are like, who is this Paul that's in prison? He's this follower of Jesus. Why is he in prison? He preaches the gospel of Jesus, right? Why are you on trial? He preaches the gospel of Jesus. What's the gospel of Jesus? Even in prison, the gospel of Jesus was being proclaimed, right? So God takes our suffering and he redeems it and he makes it into something good, right? God also equips us for hardship. Paul says, right, I can do this, right? I, I can do this because God gives me the strength, right? And God is with me and God sends other people to me. God sent the Philippians to Paul in prison to comfort him and to take care of him. So, right, so God redeems our suffering. God gives us strength to deal with it. God gives us his presence and God sends us other people to help us through that, right? So that helps us to be reliant upon God and to be content, right? I can do all of this through God who strengthens me. Any basketball fans here like Stephen Curry in the the NBA, right, for Golden State? He played for Davidson Wildcats here, a local Charlotte guy. When he was for Davidson, he used to write Philippians 4.13 on his shoe, right? I can do all things through God who strengthens me. This is a powerful verse of Scripture. So let's keep going uh, and see what else Paul says. We're just going to still be in chapter 4 of Philippians. This time we're going to go back a few verses ahead of what we've already read. And we're going to start with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul says, always. I will say it again, rejoice. Right? And so, so when Paul's in a difficult circumstance, he starts out with looking at what's good in my life. Right? Like, like we saw with the, the movie clip here. Right? What's good in my life? Right? And the best thing in my life is God. God created me in God's image. God is with me. God gives me strength. God has plans for my life, right? God sends me people into my life. So, so in the midst of whatever we're struggling with, we start with what's going well. Right? I've got God. God is on my side. God's got my back. God sends me people into my life, right? God equips me. God's going to redeem my suffering, right? We rejoice because God is with us. Then he says in verse 5 this, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Are you kidding me? Do not be anxious about anything. You're in prison, dude. You're going to be convicted at some point. You're going to die, right? Your church is falling apart, right? Don't be anxious about anything. But Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. What is that, a pipe dream? Is he smoking something? Right? What's going on here with Paul? But he says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, right? Talking to God, saying things to God, with thanksgiving, with a grateful heart, present your request to God. So Paul's saying, be grateful that you can approach the God of the universe and tell God what you need. Ask God, God, I'm struggling right now. God, this is not going so well for me. Or, you know, God, I'm on top of the world. Don't ever let this in, right? We present our petitions to God with thanksgiving and we let go, right? We let go. It doesn't mean that God's going to answer our prayers in the ways that we want them to be answered, but there must be something powerful about saying, God, I've done everything possible that I can do. I've done everything possible that I can do. I've got to give it to you. And I'm glad, God, that you're willing to let me do this. Okay? And so this is what happens when we do that. It's another powerful verse. Uh, This is verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
And that's not hippie, tie-dye, Birkenstock kind of peace that we're talking about, right? This is the peace of God, a sense of, of calm in our spirit, no matter what we're going through, that we can, be, we can be calm and feel the presence of God. That when we're in prison, or when we're sick, or when we've been falsely accused, or when we're bullied, or that when we're fighting over our mortgage, or we're scared to death of our insurance uh, costs that are skyrocketing, we're being bullied at work, we're being bullied at school, that we, in the midst of all of that, and have the peace of God that doesn't make sense to anyone, right? How can, you, how can you feel peaceful, right? Your world's falling apart. The world's falling all around you. Do you understand you're in prison? Do you understand you're going to die? Do you understand your church is collapsing? I've given it to God with thanksgiving, and God has given me a sense of peace. And Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances, Right? It kind of sounds to me like, you know, the concept of, of, of being cool under fire, right? This, this concept that we have in, in our culture of being cool, right? It's like being calm in a, in, a, in a tough situation. Maybe the origins are here with Paul. Maybe the origins are here with, with God. Maybe even in the Old Testament, we're, we're, we're calm under pressure. We're cool under fire. Right? The concept of, of, of being cool like that, we see it in, as early in the 16th century with Shakespeare's writing and some of his plays about some of his characters who were cool under pressure. We see in the 19th and 20th century writings that, that cool under pressure becomes trip and hindy. Or, 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 ugh, blew that completely. <laughs> it, becomes, it becomes trendy and hip, right? That's what I was trying to say. Blah, 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 blah. To be calm under pressure, right? You know, you're watching like one of these World War II movies and, and, and the plane's been shot down and both wings are on fire and, and glass is flying everywhere and people are freaking out. Ah! You know, and the guy flying the plane's just real calm. He's got his leather jacket on. He's like, man, I want to be like that guy. And, you know, he jumps out in the parachute and he lands. He's all cool. Right? Man, that's cool. It's just being calm under pressure, right? And maybe it starts with Paul. Maybe it starts with Jesus, right? And there's some tough circumstances that I'm facing. I've got a lot of stuff to be glad about, but there's a lot of stuff I don't want to be glad about. And yet I got the peace of God. And I, I am cool with this. So when I was in divinity school studying to be a pastor, I was up in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, Boston, Massachusetts area. And uh, one of my mentors was a retired pastor uh, who had taken over a small church in Cambridge, and he was serving it in retirement of this small church. And uh, he let me do an internship there with him, and I learned a lot. And he was, he was a great guy. He, uh, he marched in the 60s with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., did a lot of civil rights activism. He had a son named Wesley, uh, who grew up to be a pastor, a young adult pastor. Dr. Martin Luther King used to babysit Wesley when he was a kid. You know, it's just an amazing story. And so uh, when I got to know Wesley, he's older than me, and he's pastoring, and uh, just a great guy. And um, his dad, my mentor, Pastor Willard, told me, you know, earlier in Wesley's life, you know, right when he was starting out as a young pastor, uh, we had a big health scare with him, and he had a lot of stuff going on with his back, and, and he was facing surgery, and it was serious surgery. It, 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 we had all the hope if the surgery went well, he would be cured, his back would be fine, and he'd live a normal life as far as, you know, physical mobility goes, but if it didn't go well, that uh, he would be paralyzed for the rest of his life and, and be confined to a wheelchair. Right, and so this is just incredible stress facing the family. And I said, well, what happened? You know, how did he deal with that? He said, you know, the night before the surgery, I sat down with Wesley and it was just trying to be honest. And how are you doing, son? And he's like, dad, you know, I'm scared. 
I'm scared to death and, you know, I, I want to be able to walk. I want to swim and I want to hike. And I want to bike and, you know, I just, I want to be mobile and, and do things. And, you know, I'm, I'm, ang- I'm anxious and I'm upset that it's happening to me. But, but you know, I, I've been praying about it and God's given me a sense of peace. He said, well, tell me more about that, son. And Weston said, you know what, dad? You know, all that stuff's facing me and I'm not sure what's going to happen. But he said, here's the deal. He's like, you know what, dad? I can serve God standing up or I can serve God sitting down. And I've prayed about it and I've done all that I can. We've done all that we can with the doctors. And I'm let go of it, dad. I'm trusting God. And whatever happens, right, God's going to be with me. And I've got a sense of peace that either way it goes, that I'm going to be okay. I think that's what Paul's talking about. The peace that passes understanding. To be content in, in every circumstance. Not relying on ourselves, but relying upon God. So that's not just Paul who lived, you know, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago. That, that's somebody that, that we know, that I know in everyday life who had a, an amazing experience, a challenging experience. And going into that surgery, you had that attitude. I just think about, you know, what are we carrying today, brothers and sisters? I'm sure there's a lot of good stuff that we have that we, we're celebrating and rejoicing. And there's a, there's a lot of stuff in our life right now that's not perfect and it's hard and we're struggling with that. And, and we just, man, we need a sense of peace. We need a sense of contentment. So in your life today, is that a is that a monetary thing? Is that a material thing? Is that a relationship thing? Is it a health thing? Is it a status thing? Is it is it about you know what we're gonna do with our lives, our job, or our work? You know what's going good and what are we struggling with? And how can we be content in every circumstance? So what I would challenge you to do today is is to go home and and to do this right. The big idea. What's the takeaway? That we would all learn how to be content in any and every circumstance. That we can learn the secret of being content in whatever circumstance they're in. Because that's what Paul did. He said, I learned this. I wasn't born with it. I had to figure it out. Well, how do we learn what that means? Take the book of Philippians chapter 4, go home and read it again and again and again. And be reminded of what Paul taught us. What did he learn? He said, first of all, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice in God and I'm going to rejoice in the great things that are happening in my life. When things aren't going well, I'm going to ask God to redeem my suffering. God, this is not cool, and I want you to redeem it, to bring something good out of it. And God, I want you to equip me. I want you to let me have your strength. Let me know of your presence. Let me send people to me like you sent to Paul. And most of all, God, give me your peace that transcends all understanding. If Paul can learn it, we can learn it. If God did it to Paul, God will do it to us. This is something that we can learn and God can give it to us when we walk with God and we trust God like Paul trusted God. So learn the secret to be content in any and every circumstance. And if you want a cheat sheet, right? Cliff notes, spark notes moment of this. Simply this, be cool, follow Jesus, right? Be cool, follow Jesus. Learn to be content no matter the circumstance. As my friend Paul did, as my friend Wesley did, as God is ready to do for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.